The following content is for informational purposes only. It should not be used or construed as legal or tax advice, nor is a recommendation related to your specific situation. All concepts presented should be discussed in detail with an advisor, accountant, or legal counsel prior to implementation. Advisory services are offered through Veracity Capital LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome to Capital Conversations, presented by Veracity Capital, a podcast talking money, speaking truth. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Capital Conversations podcast. My name is Charles Crowley. I'm a wealth advisor here at Veracity Capital. And today we've got a bit of a timely conversation just based on everything going on in the market. I think we are experiencing a lot of questions from clients and prospects out there surrounding the bond market. We've got a unique set of circumstances with interest rates continuing to climb. We've got inflation at very, very high levels. And we're seeing some circumstances in the fixed income markets that people are a little unaccustomed to. The bonds are stereotypically going to be that hedge in the portfolio, that stability anchor. And to some degree, we're seeing that uh, a bit challenged these days. So I've got uh, my colleagues, Mike Colopy and John Rogers with me today to talk through the state of the bond markets and what we're seeing and potentially some of the things that you could consider. With that said, I'm going to turn it over to you, Mike, to go over kind of what we're seeing in the fixed income markets right now. Okay. Thanks, Charles. It's been a very ugly start to the year for fixed income. Frankly, it's been the worst quarter on record with bonds just generally speaking, very generally speaking, down about 9 maybe 10% on average. It's just a ballpark, right? When we take a step back and we think about what is the purpose of bonds, right? Why do we own fixed income in our portfolios? The main reason generally is capital preservation, right? We want to diversify. We don't want all our eggs in one basket tied to equities. We need something that's a little bit safer. We also own bonds to drive income. Some investors are living off of their portfolio or a portion of it, and bonds do deliver income. And then the third reason is total return, right? Sometimes we want income and maybe we're buying lower credit quality bonds called high yield bonds that maybe offer a little bit of growth as well. Those are really the primary reasons I would say a lot of investors are accustomed to using them for diversification purposes. Now, what we've seen in the first quarter is the stock market has lost value. And at the same time, we're seeing the bond market lose value. And generally, these two are supposed to somewhat balance each other. But because of inflation, we're seeing both markets move down at the same time. And that is causing a little bit of angst for investors. Now, when we think about how we can uh, position, change portfolios, what we might want to do to prepare for the changing markets, a lot of this comes down to yields and risk on bonds. So I can see John Rogers over here. He has his uh, his crafty yield curve chart. John, can you give us an idea about yields and maturity dates that uh, the market has right now? Uh, a two-year bond as of yesterday, two-year treasury was about 2.6, a three-year at about 2.82, and then a five-year just sub three at 2.896. I'll contrast that with uh, the 30-year bond is at 2.956. So to give you some idea, the difference between the yield on the five-year and 30-year is what? Call it 10 basis points. So basically, 
if you're allowing the U.S. government to borrow your money or you're buying a treasury bond, allowing them to borrow it or buying a five-year bond versus a 30-year bond, you're locked up much longer for 30 years, obviously. You're, you're only picking up a tenth of a percent, John? Yes, that's correct. Okay. So, you know, that, and that's a good, that's a good gauge to measure risk because when you're buying bonds, generally the way it works, you're committing capital, you're collecting some sort of interest payment, just like you would a CD, but you're, you're, you're tied up until the maturity date, right? So when we're thinking about this challenging bond market, if you're buying a 20 or a 30 year sort of bond and you're locked in at a 3% interest rate, and then we see inflation hit and rates continue rising and rising and rising. You own a bond that's paying 3% while market rates are paying 5 maybe 6%. That's what creates a lot of pain in the market. So what we have seen some investors doing is moving shorter duration right now. And when the, the price of bonds is falling, it can usually be due to two main things. It's it's one, it's credit, right? We saw this during the mortgage crisis. A lot of borrowers weren't paying their mortgages. They defaulted, right? And that led to uh, significant decreases in pricing on mortgage bonds. We're not having credit issues right now, right? This is this is just inflation, John. This is just rising interest rates. Correct. Correct. And in fact, uh, if you look at it, even over the last 30 days, the three-year has moved about 30 basis points, which is a pretty substantial move in the bond market in that short of time. Yeah. Yeah. On a percentage term, that that's pretty significant, right? It goes from 2% to 23 or whatever the move was, 23 to 26 that that's a really aggressive move in a short period of time. But we don't have concerns, or at least I should say the bond market doesn't have credit concerns right now. There's no concern that borrowers aren't paying back their their debt. That's not the issue. The issue is that investors have bought bonds at 2%, but now interest rates are up to 3% or higher, right? And that 2% debt I own isn't worth as much. So, John, what are you hearing from investors? What are you hearing from clients? Their sort of concerns? And what are, you, what are you telling them? I think the first thing that most investors are talking about is just the shocks of seeing negative returns for the first time. Yeah. And other than COVID, when bonds kind of all dropped, uh, and that was more of a liquidity issue than anything, to see negative returns, negative 10%, negative 5% is shocking. Yeah. Right. Um, yep, and you agreed. have to remind people and some of our uh, clients that have been around for a while, they remember the early 80s, right? Late 70s. And, and we're kind of at the opposite end of that spectrum now. So uh, you've got a whole generation or generations of people that have never experienced rising rates. Talking with the, some people that are looking to buy a house, very disappointed that the rates are at 4%. Yeah. Right? yeah. Relatively speaking, I think <laughs> I bought my first house at seven and <laughs> yep. I was ecstatic about that. Yes, my parents. They bought their first mortgage, you know, somewhere, you know, in the late seventies at 15, 16%. And they were excited about that. <laughs> correct. <laughs> correct. So I think a lot of it right now is just the perspective mm-hmm. of what's happening, why it's happening, understanding how bonds work, which I think for most people is, is a foreign topic. Everybody kind of understands an equity, but they don't really understand the mechanics of bonds, what happens how to ladder individual bonds versus mutual funds. So right now it's just a lot of education about why is this happening? 
what's happening and, and, you know, what potentially do I do about it? Yeah, that's a great perspective. And there are many different ways to invest in bonds. You can buy individual bonds. You can buy a mutual fund, an ETF. There's a lot of different ways to invest. Really, it comes down to investor preference. Sometimes it really comes down to liquid net worth too, right? Individual bond owners, people that are buying individual bonds, generally going to be in the higher net worth realm because it's more efficient, right? It's not as efficient if you're buying $1,000 or $2,000 of an individual issuer. You really want to be a a larger purchaser if you're going to go down that road. But at the end of the day, whether you own funds, ETFs, mutual funds, individual bonds, you see the pain on your statement. You're seeing the value of your bonds decrease. Now, when we think, and, and we don't have a crystal ball, but when we think longer term, the rate of the decline on bonds, it really seems unsustainable. Wouldn't you say that, John? I don't think we would expect to see 9% down in a, in a quarter again this year or even throughout the rest of the year. I wouldn't expect another full 9% decrease. Yeah, I think that's that's would be very, very unlikely, uh, only because that would probably mean short rates have spiked, you know, twice as much as they have now and, and long rates have stayed the same or dropped. Uh, so I, I don't think they would continue at this pace either. Let me ask you guys a question. There's been a lot of talk as of late. We've seen a couple of instances where there's been inversions in the yield curve. There's been some chatter about potential recession down the road. Obviously, when we talk about the circumstances surrounding fixed income, how do you anticipate changes in the market or how would you anticipate we we navigate potential recessionary types of conditions when stereotypically you see a flight to quality? You would see you know, bonds and fixed income really kind of pick up and be your strength in the portfolio. But right now with the circumstances we're dealing with, would that be the case or would it not be the case? What do you guys think about that? I think the first thing you need to be aware of is while it is you know, an uh, inverted yield curve is an indicator of recession – it doesn't indicate the timing of that recession. Good point. It could be two weeks or two years. And if we think back, you know, if I would have sat out the last two years from the market, man, I'm I'm I missed forty percent yeah. gains. Yeah. So I think this is the time where you're seeing potential flashing yellow lights, if you will, just to get back to basics, right? Maintain and, and think about your asset allocation. There's an awful lot of investors sitting on a ton of gains from the last couple of years, right? And so thinking about, you know, do I want to put some of that money in my pocket and realize those gains and then maybe shift those gains to a short bond that's, you know, at around 3%. We haven't seen those rates in a long time. You know, that's not a bad disciplined approach, at least in my opinion. Yeah, couldn't agree more. It's about liquidity management. There are flashing, flashing yellow, like John said. Another indicator some traders look at is high yield spreads, right? How much are junk bonds, high yield, low credit bonds paying versus treasury bonds? And when you see that spread deteriorate and you see that, you know, high yield bonds are paying 12% more than treasury bonds, you know, something more extreme, it's usually an indicator of a weakening economy. And We've seen spreads, we see the yield on, on junk bonds moving higher. The spread is definitely moving, but it, it's not necessarily telling us that there's a recessionary risk or a credit risk in the market, at least right now. But they are moving. So this is a, a, a really a case of 
let's get back to the basics. Make sure you have the proper liquidity for any upcoming expenses in the next few years. We make sure that you're not over your skis from uh, you know equity to bond sort of balance. And we want to think about your fixed income allocation. Like John said, shorter term bonds, right? That's That's just a more comfortable place to be right now for a lot of investors as opposed to trying to swing for the fences and going out longer term and making some sort of more aggressive call on what might happen because we can't really we can't really forecast that perfectly no one's been able to so you know when you talk about different ways to get into the fixed income markets to have that type of exposure in your portfolios there, there's different ways to do that right some of it's traditional bond exposure some of it you know John and, and Mike you both have mentioned what are some of those things that we might look at in circumstances where we're trying to get a little bit more yield or income in the portfolio, but it may not want to increase our traditional bond exposure? The, the Probably the most natural place to go, at least it has been over the past, we'll call it 10 years, for the average investor. It, it would be some sort of dividend-focused equity. I mean, that, that's really where we've seen a lot of capital flow to over the past decade since interest rates have moved lower. Investors feel comfortable because a lot of companies that pay dividends or really consistently increase their dividends, it's usually a sign of health for the company. There's always you know, those GEs or those companies that are paying a high dividend and then have to slash it because their cash flow is not strong, which is why we, we tend to gravitate towards dividend growth strategies. But really, that's that's a place where investors are looking for some sort of income. There's also real estate. And for the average investor, you're, you're typically going to look at REITs, publicly traded real estate, where you can try to find some sort of yield. There's also, for other investors, private real estate. Um, there's funds for that. There's also individual investing, right? You can buy rental properties or, or use some sort of you know, direct access to real estate for yields. But at the end of the day, we're in a low yield environment. Mortgage rates are still relatively low, right? Dividend yields still relatively low. Bond yields relatively low, right? So when you're making these investment decisions, it's got to be relative to something and interest rates are low, and that kind of sets the tone for all of the asset classes that we see available. Yeah, I was going to mention the real estate side as well. I, I think it's just further diversification, especially in a rising rate environment here. Not only are you going to get the, the yield from the, the REIT itself, but you're also going to potentially get appreciation depending on what sector the REIT's in. I know that's something that we've been focusing on over the last couple of years. And and the taxation, depending on the type of account, can be advantageous to the clients as well. So you also have to look at net yield, right? Not yeah. just uh, total yield. Yeah. And, and this is this is how investing works, right? We're at, we're at a point in the cycle right now where growth stocks are getting hammered. NASDAQ is down, what, 14, 15% right now far more than the S&P, far more than the Dow. So we're seeing this shift in what assets are performing well. And again, it comes back to diversification. I won't say what I worry about most, but what I would state is we don't want investors to shy away from bonds because they look down on paper and say, oh, well, you know, this quarter was a bad quarter. Well, the rest of the year could be a good year, right? And the purpose of bonds is to mitigate risk in the portfolio. It did not work as planned this quarter, but over the long run, you need something that's going to be the cornerstone. We can, you know, just think about 
simple math, right? You make an equity investment. You put $100,000 into an equity. It's up 30% the first year. It's down 15% the second year. You have an average return of 15%. It sounds great. But what do you actually have at the end of that investment? You have $110,000. That's the way compounding works. On the flip side, you invest $100,000 into a bond. You earn 5% the first year, 5% the second year. You're in the same place, $110,000. So these, these bonds and I would say uh, uncorrelated assets, right? Diversification, it really can help performance over the long run, even though it feels a little bit counterintuitive and honestly a little bit, little bit boring, right? When you're investing in bonds and yeah. in lower yields. Yeah, and one of the things that I think is imperative is, one, this is an individual discussion with each individual client, especially based on income needs, right? If you are years away from retirement and don't need income right now, am I happy getting 3%? Probably not, right? Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to migrate more to a dividend-paying bucket of stocks that can give me 25 to 3 with upside. However, if I'm in distribution mode, Right, I need liquidity that's going to be safe. It's been a long time since people have retired into a negative market. Right, I don't, I don't count COVID because we we pop back so quickly. Mm -hmm. um, it's been a long time, and people have forgotten they they've forgotten that markets go down and they go down quickly and they can stay down for a while. And so to have that liquidity bucket that allows you to spend those dollars and let the equity bucket recover, to me, is the difference between a successful retirement plan and somebody that's got to go back to work. Great words of wisdom. Yeah. Great way to end the episode today. Anybody out there who is listening who has questions about their portfolio, their risk positioning, feel free to reach out to our team of experts ready to help. Other than that, I'd point you to our website, veracitycapital.com. We've got a lot of great content that we are putting out that you can explore there. And additionally, we would love for you to continue following along with us on the Capital Conversations podcast.